Welcome to Genius Leadership, Overcoming Everything podcast. Join me every week for insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their roller coaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. I'm your host, Anna Lieben, and before we kick off, let me invite you to a complimentary strategy call where during 30 minutes we work on identifying your zone of genius and lay out a plan for you to stay in that zone as much as possible. Schedule the call via link in the show notes. And for now, let's take a ride together. Hey, genius leader, welcome to another episode. I am talking to Alex Gordon today in the episode, but before that, I want to make a some personal note. As I am recording this intro, we're still having some earthquakes here in Iceland. It's been over 10,000 of those in the last week. Uh, three of them over five uh, points on this uh, Richter scale, which is quite a lot. And uh, there hasn't been any damage so far. And yesterday they announced that there might be a volcano eruption very soon, within hours. It was yesterday afternoon. Now it's almost noon the day after. There is still has no eruption happened. But it's a, quite an exciting way of living when you know that within a couple of uh, dozens of kilometers from you, there is a volcano bubbling up. That really means that we feel those shakings and... I don't anymore know which ones are real and which I'm just imagining. It's like coming from the ship to the ground, as my husband said yesterday. It's just that you've never been on the ship. <laughs> and you know, like, the earth under you is still moving, even though you're not on the ship anymore. Um, that's a bit how I feel at the moment. Uh, very interesting feeling. Just wanted to share what's going on in my, in my life at the moment. But let's get back to Alex. Alex is a founder of... Uh, Sign Salad, which I'll talk a bit about more later, they use semiotics to help brands or companies understand how culture affects the way people respond to their brand and products. And if you don't know what semiotics is, which I didn't really before talking to Alex, so semiotics is the study of signs and symbols and their use or interpretation. So Alex founded Sign Salad in 2007. It's an award-winning a company now helping brands build build their presence and really adjust to the cultures uh, so that they can actually succeed in what they're doing. And they've worked with many companies in different industries across five continents since Alex has started the company. Uh, I really like the personal part of his description in the on the webpage, and I'll read it to you just because I thought it was fun. In a former life, Alex played in the Miles Davis Quintet, scored a century against Australia at Lords, and solved crimes alongside Philip Marlowe. In his future life, he scores the goal that wins the World Cup for Scotland. In his present life, however, his wife and three kids just roll their eyes at him and join him on the trampoline. So this is a description of a CEO of, a comp- of an award-winning company who is 51 years old now. Just to give you some perspective of how you can actually be fun and successful. So in this conversation, we're talking about constructing a narrative as a leader. And on the show, we talk a lot about the visionary, visionary leadership and how you as a leader need to bring other people on board and make sure that they stay on board with you. And Alex is turning it about the, the narrative, and he is focusing on that part, that you as a leader can create the narrative. And he opposes that to the storytelling, which is a bit more of a top-down approach. 
Whilst narrative is more bottom-up, when you are collecting the ideas, when you are sensing the feelings of everyone in the community, in your company, or whatever constellation we're talking about, with whatever group of people, and you're collecting those and you're bringing them together to build this narrative that everyone can relate to, relate to, and everyone can see themselves as part of that narrative. So this is a great perspective to think about how you can actually be the leader whom others want to follow. Want to follow. We also talk a lot about creating a followership where people feel fulfilled being a part of a community, meaning that you don't have to be on top to contribute and to be valued. And we discuss how followership is not about blind following as a herd of sheep uh, behind the leader. It's really about creating the ownership of every person and ownership both of the successes and also about the, of the struggles and the challenges that the company is going through. So tune in for an insightful conversation with the academic turned CEO, Alex Gordon. Alex, warm, warmest welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. I'm very happy to have you as a guest. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Anna. I'm delighted to be here with you. So, Alex, I usually start with asking my guests, what is leadership and who is a leader for you? Oh, gosh. Um, what is leadership? There are so many facets to leadership. But if I'm, if, I'm forced, if I'm forced to have one, I mean, because there are many, consistency, courage, humility, these kinds of very important values. But if you're going to, if you're going to give me one which I'm, um, which I'm forced to adopt, in a sense, or at least nominate as, my, as the ideal of leadership, it is a leader is someone who creates a narrative of the future, a vision around which supporters and colleagues can coalesce around um, and support and drive, help drive forward to reaching that goal or that vision. I mean, I'm a former, I, I'm a semiotician by profession, but I'm a former academic. I taught literature. Um, so, so I believe strongly that human beings are, are homo narans. We are storytelling creatures. And actually, if you look at history, some of the greatest leaders we think of, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Moses, for instance, Abraham Lincoln, these were actually people whose, whose leadership was, was forged in, a, in storytelling. Certainly Martin, Martin Luther King's was, in particular, the relationship between the African-American community and its role in, in and its, uh, the allegory or the metaphor of, um, of the slaves in Egypt, of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And, and I think the leadership is absolutely about um, developing a narrative for, for people to really feel excited about and, and to galvanize a sense of energy among supporters, followers, and those around you, colleagues, to drive forward an agenda uh, for the realization of a vision. That's brilliant. We talk a lot about the visionary leadership on this podcast and with a lot of my guests and they see the value of it and, and the definition of leadership comes a lot through the visionary leadership that you are the person who is seeing this future and is painting that to the rest of the team to get them on board and, and have them on board. And I really like how you twist it a bit to actually have it as a narrative. So it's not only about having the vision, but it's also being able to communicate it in an entertaining, inspiring and enlightening way. So yeah. let's Let's, yeah, let's I, that. I think, I mean, I think that one of the things that's very, I'm, I want to be very cautious about this because I think that the type of leaders and leadership we've spoken about even just now is a very, I, I think a very 20th century or very historical model, by which I mean it's a top-down structure 
the idea of a single individual at the apex of a community or a group or a tribe of belonging, who is the one who has the vision and who's the one the others follow. I think that particular structure is primarily often associated with a um, a society based on hierarchy. It constructs its own hierarchy. Therefore, a society based on leadership narratives, that kind, or, or on the vision of a leader, are, are hierarchical. They're pyramidical they're, they're by, by structure. And I think that's quite old-fashioned in a way. I don't think I'm talking about a leadership where you have a, and I may have mentioned this, but but I, I'd rather prefer to talk about leadership as a narrative um, rather than the, the storyteller, in a sense. All of the great leaders, as I mentioned, have been at the apex. But I think we're in a society now where there's where the narrative is about something which comes from the bottom up, which is a shared narrative. Yes, it might have been delivered by a single individual, but it's a narrative which is bought into and shared by others who feel empowered to become leaders themselves um, and to drive to drive uh, and be part of the team driving the, the, the vision forward, rather than deferring all of the decision-making to a single figurehead figure. And I think that's that's something we're in a probably a transition period in terms of that kind of leadership at the moment. Let me give you an example of that, of what I mean by that kind of transition. Oh, Barack Obama was a swept into office on, a, on, on the kind of bottom-up vision that I'm talking about, which was encapsulated in three words, yes, we can, which was a brilliant idea of communal, associative, communitarian, bottom-up, empowered value system in which everyone was seen to be a leader and in which he was positioning himself brilliantly, not as the leader at the apex of the vision and, and of, the, of the person to be deferred to, but as the person who was merely, merely reminding everyone of the agenda, which was one of progress, a progressive social agenda in a broad sense. And he was reminding everyone that it was achievable through common consent which was, of course, the tradition in American political history. We the people, yes, we can. So he was drawing upon that leadership principle, which was founded in America. Where, where the problem started for him, um, and he was a great leader, but the problem started for him is that he was being asked, he was asking everyone to say, yes, we can, and to elect him to an office, which by virtue of its structure was at the apex of an old-fashioned system. So he was swept into office in a bottom-up structure, but once he was in office, he was in a top-down leadership model. So there was a there was a clash between the two models, which I think affected his leadership all the way through. He's still a much beloved leader by um, by those on the progressive left in a, in the United States and around the world, as a sign of in, in a kind of intelligent moderation. He was. He was kind of leader as philosopher-statesman rather than a philosopher-poet-statesman rather than soldier-statesman uh, as, as previous uh, leaders had been. But I think that reflected a very interesting shift. And, and I think the political structures we have around us, which are so oriented towards leadership, are really, in, in, it's problematic because, because they are structured. Society is structured on those top-down structures, which has come from the ancient world and which Western civilization structured itself around for so long. And yet leadership is beginning to move away because we know that so much of leadership in conversation around of that has been, has been filled with, with narrow values of what building a good society is about. 
But th that definition comes from a, a very narrow definition of what a good society is. It's primarily white. It's primarily masculine. It's primarily primarily heterosexual. So that those kinds of leadership visions and agendas have primarily come from that from that from that position. A lot of the social progressive leadership roles have pu have pushed back against that and have been bottom up structures. Martin Luther King's leadership was a bottom up structure, even though he was the leader. Cesar Chavez, who uh, Biden has just has just got a, a statue, a bust behind his shoulder in the in the in the office. Cesar Chavez brought together Hispanic uh, farm workers in America. So there was bottom up leadership has come from bottom up. It's when you get into positions of authority that the problems can't sometimes start. That there is that there is a so I think leadership is in a a kind of is in negotiation at the moment between these tr traditional structuralist. Uh, models of leadership and what we might call post-structuralist models of leadership, which attempt to be bottom-up, which attempt to be more communitarian, which attempt to be more empowering for individuals, and in which followership is as important as leadership. Uh, and that's a very different agenda for what leadership can be. And that emphasizes ideas of humility and empowerment. Um, and in my, as I said, it, 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 it's about a communal narrative around which everyone can coalesce, um, uh, uh, and everyone feels feels empowered to drive forward that agenda and deliver it together rather than individually. I hear the word followership more and more, Alex, and I would like to uh, like I, I could imagine that that's actually a new word for many of our listeners. Shall we give a definition to it? What do you see as uh, the followership, or what is that term about? Yeah, followership is. I, I mean, I, I think it's, it, it's the idea actually, followership that you are part of a community, that your goal is not to try and dominate, to try and impose your will, or to try and impose an agenda upon a group, but on the contrary, that you 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 were brought into the idea of uh, that you are a single individual who is part of an empowered group who can work together. Um, in that communitarian or associative sense, I suggested, in order to help deliver uh, uh, deliver an, a, a vision together, and it's it's one in which um, leadership values and in which in which it, decision making is created. Perhaps it must you know must be it must be invested in a single individual, but eventually, and she must make the right decisions, but but influenced by those around her, hopefully. But I think it's about um, a followership is about a, a belief that helping and being part of the group rather than being at the top of the group is as important to the delivery of this of the uh, of the vision as leadership and that there is a kind of uh, fulfillment a fulfillment from being part of that group to deliver and, and working hard as part of it um, and as an important empowered part of it rather than capitulating to the idea the western a western value in which you are only worthwhile you are only fulfilled as an individual when you have fulfilled some kind of top down leadership structure and i think that is the that's the essence of followership that it it doesn't need to be fulfilled um as a person and to fulfill the vision it doesn't you don't need to feel or be made to feel that you are less worthy if you have not fulfilled this, you know, a, a position as a top, you know, as this single individual making the uh, making the decisions. Um, that, from, to my mind, is followership, and it comes from an attempt to understand 
that society, it, it, it's not good for society, but based on the competition of leadership, of top-down leadership, because it creates narrow interest rather than communal interest. It creates a self-absorption rather than mutual assistance. And it creates a kind of egotistical self-fulfillment rather than um, a kind of egotistical plural fulfillment, that your ego can be satisfied not by the glory of others following you, but of you being part of a team. And I think that's that's a really different way of thinking about it, but it demands a, a social shift because our society has been so has been so invested in that idea of this of the of the single individual as the apex uh, who we lead, who is also f- utterly fallible, is the person with whom we invest all our hopes, but also the person with whom who also holds our fears as well. And if they show themselves to be flawed, then they also they also represent our greatest fears about about humanity as well. I love it. I love this idea of really creating a followership. And as a leader, if you succeed to create this real followership where everyone is feeling valued and feels fulfilled, as you said, no matter what part of the the community they are, they just feel like they're part of the community. It's a very win-win-win situation for for everyone. So how, if if we think about the business world, how can leaders create this movement of followership through the narrative? Yeah, I, I mean, I think follow. I, I want to be clear that followership is not about being a sheep, and and sort of blindly following the direction where you're asked to go in. Or I think that, to my mind, the leadership in the followership construct comes from a narrative, not a person. That's the critical thing. If there is a narrative, the narrative might have emerged from a group of individuals, or it might have been emerged from an individual. But actually, followership is is about a kind of communal leadership. To be a follower doesn't need to doesn't mean you are divested of responsibility for making decisions or for or for generating ideas. You are a, a, about about the progress of your business or your society. It demands the idea that you are invested in still coming up with those ideas and in and in still working towards a goal. But it means that and you still have responsibility for it. But it means that you are not attempting to to dominate a group or through competitive competition gain control over that group um, in order to impose a singular vision um, through which you expect everyone to adhere. And of course, Western style of leadership is off, has often been that kind. Of, and I'm not just talking about uh, totalitarian states, which are notorious for that. You know, good often those leaders who we think of. As being, you know, at least some, at least history has characterized as good leaders. Churchill, FDR, dare I say it, Margaret Thatcher. And there are arguments as to whether she was or wasn't a good leader. But but certainly people who had Tony Blair, these are people who held office for a long time. They tried to impose a vision. They were, you know, conviction politicians. I think followership is actually about the construction of a narrative which everyone is bought into and feels empowered to participate in. And then they themselves, followership demands a kind of them living, breathing the narrative, working towards that narrative, and then themselves, um, in a sense, perhaps taking leadership of smaller areas and, and imparting that kind of the excitement and enthusiasm and energy of the narrative to their colleagues 
and galvanizing their colleagues' excitement and getting and empowering their colleagues. And I think that's a very powerful message where you have essentially what you're talking about there is a leadership structure or a followership structure, which is about enfranchising everyone in a society or in a business to feel that they have ownership of the direction of travel and that that ownership is um, a communal one that they can see everyone galvanized around them towards that vision and towards the delivery of that vision through their own particular work, rather than following a, a diktat, which has been handed down from a kind of leadership structure whom you follow with a kind of idealizing effect. Uh, and I think that's that's crucial. That's a that, that, there's a subtle difference, but I, I I do think that it's a misinterpretation to 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 see followership as a kind of sheepish, sort of a weak-minded um, following, just following. Uh, and, and that's that's not how I got it. And it's interesting that you 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 want to to give this um, clarification. It's very good for to for the clarity. What I see. Uh, what I thought when you were talking about uh, the followership in the first place, I, I was thinking a lot about my generation who are in the workplace to to contribute to a purpose, right? And there is a lot of disengagement and there are a lot of frustrations uh, among people of my age uh, who who don't feel like they are contributing to this vision or of the future that they feel or that they want. And that's the thing, like we're talking about skilled, ambitious people who have their mind, who have their heart, and they want to contribute to a better world. Yet the leadership there is failing to create this followership where people actually feel like they are this piece of a puzzle where we together can actually create synergies and create the beauty and the change that we want to see. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I, I, it troubles me that there are a lot of leadership courses in the world and there's a lot of you know different communities emphasize the need for leadership and i think it's important to have people of experience in positions but um it's also for those for, for people in those positions to understand that they don't know everything and that their experience particularly since the world is changing fast that younger people have an experience and a um, an understanding of the world and, and of the future of that world, which is greater than your own. I mean, you know, I, I know that from my own little, the little environment that I work in where I was the founder of a business, which I had no intention of building up into, into uh, having employees. That was never in my mind. But, you know, I was just, when I set up my own business, my goal was to pay my bills. And the idea of growing a business was not something I set out. You know, some people sit down at the beginning and say on the back of an envelope, this is my plan for the growth of a business. Mine has grown organically. And any, you know, I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. I've been, I've been educated by those mistakes. And I've learned by failure uh, as much as by success about what good leadership is. And I think that to my mind, good leadership is a kind of understanding of empowering others, of building a narrative, of creating an environment of mutual care and concern and human warmth, and that that's a very important part of it, that a kind of rapacious, a rapacious business commercial goal-oriented value system on its own does not create a kind of followership structure. And I hope, you know, I've got certainly more experience than some of my colleagues who are considerably younger than me, but I have only ex I have only more experience in certain areas. They have more experience in others. And, um, 
Uh, and so I've learned from them on a daily basis. And that's what I mean by followership. Um, uh, that, that to my mind, that's about, you know, creating a group of people who are supporting each other and learning from each other. Um, that's real, real leadership to my mind is the ability to learn from everyone and to make use of that learning and acknowledge that learning and make use of it in terms of empowering people and bringing people with you and and then you you thrusting other people forward to enable them to lead make decisions um, as you're going along rather than just constantly being the person who feels that they have the the authority um, to dominate their and, and impose their will those kinds of value systems are beginning to be outdated. Um, and we've seen examples of that in the public press where people have presented themselves in that way. People who are you know, chief executives of large corporations who are found out because they represent themselves in, in that way and in a kind of rapacious commercial way and a rapacious human way where they position work ethic above, above a kind of care ethic. And that won't wash anymore. Those kinds of value systems won't wash anymore. That's a very powerful shift in our society, which is for the better. And it's necessary because we're aware that mental health issues are so, are so profoundly fragile and profoundly important in our society. That, that's, I think that's a kind of, you know, that's why leadership needs to change and why followership is probably a, a healthier way to develop social structures. And I, I, I'm quite aware when I'm saying that you can't, you need people with experience to, to set an agenda, but, but it's how that, it's how that agenda is then delivered is, is the question I think that we're, um, we're talking about in terms of the shift of kinds of leadership structures we're referring to. You've got a lot of points that I would like to touch upon, and I'm already getting lost. Like, oh, how, which direction should we take? Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm digressive by nature. It's just beautiful to see your passion about this and, and how many ideas you have and, and how you're communicating them. It's wonderful. Uh, what I was interested about what you're saying, it's, it sounds like leadership is a lot about listening and feeling the spirit and the temperature and being able to bring all those ideas and, and thoughts and feelings together and actually make something good out of it. So it's it's a bit of like a baker, maybe you can think, and like everyone is like to to make a good cake, you need all those ingredients. So everyone is important on the team in a community, and it's the baker's responsibility to understand like okay, now it's time for this ingredient to go in. Yeah, those kinds of things. You, you've you've hit upon something very profound, which is in the public in the public discourse at the moment, which is how does one disagree with each other? How does one make space for another person's opinion? And not feel threatened by it oneself. To feel that another person's opinion, which, which might be different than yours, does not undermine yours or devalue your opinion, but that it builds on and strengthens and can be an alternative. One of the things I think that I found most profound, the biggest realization, I think, and this was even before I became, uh, you know, before I um, was building a business, I, I realized there are, in many things in life, there are not rights and wrongs not all i mean there are plenty of rights and wrongs and you know, so i don't want to be clear that i'm not saying in life gen but but in certain aspects there are not right and wrong decisions there are choices and that's what makes leadership sometimes very difficult or, or followership indeed very difficult because it's scary to make choices when you've got no guarantee that that choice is the right it is going to take you in a good pathway 
and that not taking that 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 choice might equally take you in a good pathway. It's just a choice, and you know there are so many parts of that in life, uh, and so so you know leadership is no different than that. You know the choice of you know the, the the choice of a newspaper in the morning, or you know where you get you know where you turn the telly on, which channel you're going to watch is you know that's banal, but it can make a, make a choice as to so to what information you receive. So, but I think that that crucially what we're talking about there is about having the courage to to enable difference and to have your opinions challenged as a leader. So you were referring to listening, to listening, yes, to listen to others, but also to encourage others to, to, to tell you what they really feel. We know, for instance, there have been plenty of examples documented of, of top-down structures where the authority of a leader figure has intimidated juniors. And in a situation, whether that's a medical one or a governmental one or a military one, those juniors can see something wrong happening, decisions being made which are going to be disastrous, yet because of the leadership structures, they have felt disempowered um, and disenfranchised from, a, from, from being able to make a contribution and have allowed things to go wrong in surgery uh, or, or military situations, rather than challenge the authority of the person who's uh, the, the, the de facto leader. You know, that's a disaster. We know that's a disaster. It's a disaster for businesses as well. So empowering people to be able to feel their voice is valued and to be able to understand as an individual that people people who disagree is really, that's really progressive. That's how progress starts. That's how you develop society by having discussion and debate. That's what open society is about. It's about, it's about having free debate without offense and and knowing and that there is an excitement in learning for another person's opinion, and to have yours challenged through good good argument, um, that's a really that's a really profound way to develop a, a way of making choices, rather than to have a conviction which is untested, and then to just force it through regardless. Uh, 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 you know that's that's not that is not progress. It's not it's not the way we've progressed as human beings. It's also about having the humility to understand you don't know everything and, and that, that it's exciting to recognize other people's talents and, uh, and to be aware of them and to be excited by that and to know that there's actually wisdom to be gained in a coalescence and, and the building of that, of the, all the different ingredients to create the cake or the, or the loaf that you're making because that will improve the loaf and the quality of the cake. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking like, I'm actually seeing a lot of this shift going on, but maybe I'm living in my own bubble where I'm, I'm a, I am connecting to leaders who are thinking this way, who are creating the synergies, who are working hard on creating this psychological safety where everyone can be questioned without feeling threatened, who everyone can, or like they can question without being threatened and where they really value each other's opinions and don't take it personally. So I, I see a lot of this shift going on in the business world, at least, and I'm I'm happy to see that. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. Experience. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Look, we've still, I, I think, as I said, we're in transition. We're in a transition state where, where you know, top, where, where we still, the major, major corporations are still run on top-down hierarchical structures. And, but I think even within that, there are those who are now taking leadership positions who are um, particularly women, it seems to me. Um, not always, but many women who are um, 
who are much more engaged in a and in an enfranchising, empowering um, role. Um, Do you think, think things, um, we women um, better at this? Let's say at this transition or what helps them get further in that process? Yeah, I, I'm cautious about saying they're better. What I'm saying is that they, they're able to do it more instinctively um, than than men. Why? Maybe because they've been on receiving end for generations of being part of a system which has not heard their voice. Therefore, when they get into positions of authority, they're much more conscious of creating a sense of this empowered followership structure and of its value. Um, maybe, maybe those whose voices are disenfranchised and disempowered in society are those whose voices we need to hear most um, because, because of that. Secondly, because you know that top-down structure comes from a masculine archetype, which is very ancient, which comes from, you know, the anthropologists will be able to explain this more than I will, but it comes from that idea of the hunter-gatherer ideal where glory and fulfillment is seen as capturing and conquest. Um, you know, the human narrative of, of society and military power and the, the formation of nations and the formations of government is, for, is through competition. So I think that that idea of overcoming that instinct to leadership and competition is something which is fundamental to the success of leadership. There's something probably negative in this idea that leadership is gained through competition because that's also about voices you know push trying to promote your voice over others which is not is not helpful so my instinct is not to say that women are somehow genetically better at it because i i refuse I'm, i'm you know i'm loath to to deal in those terms with those kinds of i think they're troubling biological you know there's enough enough in human history to say that any arguments about biological or gender or genetic or racial contexts And superiority in one thing or another is a dangerous territory to go down. I don't believe that. I believe it's through experience and um, that men have been conditioned into a structure of competition, um, the idea of, of success through conquest, which I think is very now seen, understandably and very correctly, as a toxic narrative, a, a toxic structure. And, and to be, to be fair, I'm thinking that it probably there was the need of that. That's why it was there. So we as a humanity wouldn't get where we are without those structures, very top-down top structures, without being a scientist and without being able to run the time back and, and see how it would be in the other way. I, I believe that it all makes sense. But there's also, like, it's fascinating to see this transition now of women because I feel like women are still, or at the moment, there, there is a lot of competition going on there because we are not used to being that many in the workplace. We are not used to being in the power position. So there is a competition going on. There is quite yeah. a lot of discussion of yeah, that. I mean, it's also very difficult for, for what are the expectations for women when they get into leadership positions. The expectation is for them to behave like men. That, that leadership, if they don't, if they don't behave that way, they haven't been true leaders because we're so conditioned to understand leadership in such narrow traditional terms. So I think I think we're training ourselves and it'll take several potentially several generations to train ourselves to understand a followership structure a bottom-up a communitarian vision um and i'm not being you know i'm not i'm not i'm trying to avoid being a kind of uh talk about this as as constructing uh businesses as a kind of hippie commune um it's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about a narrative which is what leadership is that's the it's the narrative which creates the and drives the goal forward and groups You know, it's a group 
which is which is enabling a, a sense of leadership rather than you know and everyone feels an ability to participate. I think that's that's absolutely fundamental. One of the best lessons that was ever taught to me in was in a boardroom of a business in America. We did some work for a business called Panera Bread, which is um, in America. Those of you who are watching from America will know it. It's it's a bakery, sandwich, takeaway, and eat-in store, which sells soup and sandwiches and bread. And there's about 2,000 stores across the United States. It's a, a high street brand. It's similar, kind of similar to Pret uh, in Europe and in America as well. It's um, And uh, although they, it's not pre-made, it's made to order, the food there. And it's fresh. And I, we, we did some work around for the brand around uh, communicating wellness. This is many years ago five, six years ago, probably six years ago. And we were in the boardroom and I, we had to, we had to in, in, in giving our report, we had to tell the board some pretty uncomfortable things that they needed to hear. And I was slightly nervous about it. Um, and particularly I was nervous because, and it was, it, the whole thing was hilarious because it was a very old fashioned leadership structure. The man who'd set the business up 30 years beforehand was still in charge. And he had been in the, in the, in advertising, he had in, in, in the TV adverts, it was him standing outside, opening the door for customers to go in. He was arriving late to the uh, meeting and everyone else, all of, all of the other senior people around the room said, let's not start until he arrives. He came in, we started and even halfway through, he said, I've just got to go out to the bathroom. He said, do carry on. He left the room. All of the other guys said, let's just wait until he gets back. It was a very top-down structure, right? It was very top-down and... He was the hunter-gatherer in the room. He was the alpha in the room. It was very clear. And at the end of it, when we told them some pretty hard-hitting uh, realities about where their business was and where culture was and how there was a gap between them, and in order to, to align themselves with where culture was moving to, and in particular where the consumers were moving, they needed to make some fairly significant changes, which will have, would have demanded some serious investment from them. At the end of the presentation, he turned to me and he said, well, he said, you've just, well, he turned to me and my, to my colleagues and I, he said, well, you've just ruined 30 years of my life. And my heart sank. And he said, but what you've said is absolutely right. He said, and you serve your clients best when you tell them the truth. And I think there's something powerful about that idea that in, in leadership, if you've got, you've got to be prepared to hear the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, even if the truth is uncomfortable or the truth is other people see it. You know, that's uncomfortable, but I think it's absolutely crucial. And overcoming your overcoming the inclination to see leadership in this old-fashioned, highly structured, top-down structure is absolutely something that is going to be fundamental for the success of future businesses and future corporations. Because the, the, the startups that are being founded now are, you know, are, yes, there's a lot that's been put into vision and the vision of the founder in terms of a progress, but that has to, that founder has to, in a sense, also empower followers. That's, a, you know, the, the founder's purpose, um, a purpose vision narrative um, is absolutely, a purpose, a purpose based vision or narrative is absolutely crucial, but, but that person needs to also have, have the ability to bring people with them. And create. Can you take Hein Salad and your your growing uh, the company organically as an example? How did you build this narrative, and how did you get people on board? There's one thing between talking, and there's one another between acting, isn't there? So look, I, I'm you know I, there are those who are I'm not a you know I wasn't a businessman, and I learned to be a businessman as I said by by making some 
good judgments and making some bad judgments. And um, I was also, you know, I'm I'm 51. I've also been raised in an environment where leadership structures were were categorized and performed for me publicly as a kind of this top-down structure. And I've learned over time that that is not a positive way to run a business um, and to work in partnership with people and to encourage and, and um, I think is, is crucial. I've always tried, you know, I've always tried to have a care ethic there from the very, very beginning. I think that's absolutely fundamental. But I think that on a personal note, the success, as I said, the success I've had, and I've got a wonderful team now, part, partly the success of the, of the strength of the team and the company culture we now have, and I take nothing for granted, but, but it, 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 you know, with modesty, it's because I've, I've had the ability to have some humility and to listen and learn from others around me and to take advice and, um, to, to, and to feel a sense of shared decision-making and to have a good sense of humor and to feel that that others know and have a good instinct as well, I think there are, there's also a sense in which in which people have to recognise that experience is valuable as well. I'm talking about if you if you don't have experience, if you've been working in a business for a year or two years, that those with 10, 20 years experience, you know, have some have something to that's worth listening to as well. And I think listening takes place at all levels and being able to learn together. I think that's crucial. That's something that I've learned is it's, it's learning together that's, that's, that's vital and valuable. And that's something that I found very powerful in helping to develop a business and learning to listen and, but always having that sense of a care ethic at the core of a business, which, you know, the, the recent experiences at KPMG, um, uh, where, where the, uh, the CEO had to, had, was forced to resign or felt, felt he needed to resign, was encouraged to, um, because he had made some comments which were not caring, um, which were um, a not understanding of, 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 of people's personal uh, experiences and was not able to leap from his own experience and put himself into the mindset and lifestyle of another person to understand what they're going through. That's a kind of social empathy, which is fundamental to leadership. Um, and, 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 and that's absolutely crucial. Uh, um, and it, I, I mean, that's a base. That's a base for me. That's just about a, being a, a decent human being, uh, which is absolutely fundamental. And, and putting that above the profit motive, actually. The profit motive will come. I, I read a fantastic obituary for a man called Zeph Eisenberg, who sadly passed away uh, within the last 12 months, not through COVID, I don't think. Um, he he had been a biker and and had been something he hadn't it, he hadn't committed himself to too much until he got into his 20s and he got very interested in weightlifting. And he he discovered that whey powder helped with the development of muscles and developed a business called Maxi Muscle, uh, which is a business which sells whey powder in these enormous, these enormous tubs to weightlifters for muscle muscle development. And he made millions of pounds out of it, built the business, sold the business, made millions of pounds. And there's a wonderful line at the end of this obituary where he'd done been tremendously successful. And at the end, he said, there are two key things, he said, in life. He said, work hard and behave ethically, and the money will follow. And I, and I just thought that's a, wonderful, that's a wonderful message, actually, that actually working hard is absolutely fundamental and having a work ethic, but also um, learning hard is something that I've, I've, I've taken to heart as well.
um because i haven't you know i've learned sometimes the hard way um and and that's actually been been a good thing been a good thing over the longer term and i've learned from my wonderful colleagues who are just absolutely brilliant people brilliantly talented and good fun and you know that's that's something i enjoy gets me up in the morning apart from my family and and, and the other joys of life working with people you learn from is something that's a real pleasure that's something that, that is not often said about leadership structures yeah that's a beautiful idea of actually like having the pleasure of working with people with whom you from whom you can learn as a leader alex we discussed in the pre-chat about the risk uh, attitude towards risk as an entrepreneur and as a business. Shall we tap into that a bit before we wrap up? Because I think it's a very important uh, idea as well about the owning business, building a business, and and just taking any decisions. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is something I think um, that I've I've seen in in corporations. Look, it's really difficult. I mean, I you know I'm not I, I I'm I'm agency side, not client side, and my business is small. But but every decision you make about business together or individually is, but preferably together, is is filled with risk, filled with risk. And there is success is and big success is only achieved by by taking risk. Ultimately, you know, if you're risk averse, and I'm generally. More con- ironically, I'm progressive by by philosophy, by pol- politically progressive, um, by inclination. But I'm also in terms of in terms of social, you know, socially progressive. But I'm also I have you know I'm also conservative with a small C in terms of taking risks sometimes, and I recognise that's a limitation for me, which is why I need as the you know as the de facto founder of a business, why I need the support of others. Uh, around me and to learn from them in order to feel comfortable to make to, to, to take those risks sometimes um, and to overcome to help me overcome my own natural limitation so I worry with some corporations you know risks are huge for big corporations because it, it involves investment it involves often often the stock price your jobs are on your personal job is on the line therefore your personal livelihood is on the line so it's very easy it's very easy for me to sit here and and talk about the need for risk but but I think that I worry that there is a climate in which there has become a, a, a kind of risk aversion and in which there are there is an attempt to, to, to narrow the pathway down so much in terms of the debates within, within corporations that, that risk is limited you know, to the point where dis, we don't go forward with things. And I think that's, that's stifling and that's followership must be about being seeing seeing the value of taking risks sometimes and of doing of taking that risk together rather than that risk being invested in a single individual who lives and dies by that decision alone right that's that's you know that's often what leadership has been about conviction leaders you get to the top i'm the person who's going to who's going to lead us forward but that's also the person whom everyone else it's easy for them to invest them with the risk and say well you took the risk it's your fault we're we've we've divested ourselves the risk it's your it hasn't worked out you're to blame for that. And we're happy to blame you for that because we didn't take the risk. And I think good followership must be about learning together, must be about fostering empowerment, um, and must be about uh, fostering voices which are which are valued and a sense in which a narrative, um, you've coalesced around a narrative. But it also must be one in which, in which you take the risk together. And I think that's part of followership as well. Followership doesn't, shouldn't be at the expense of risk-taking. 
It should it shouldn't be about you know spreading the risk to the extent where you know where in order to get everyone to agree, you just do what the common you know the lowest common denominator in order to satisfy everyone. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you actually have to to go for it. And I, you know I think leadership is sometimes about making a risk. There's a wonderful phrase. I don't know who said it, but someone once said, if you, you know, as a, in leadership and not as a leader, and I think this is too, I want to talk about leadership rather than as a leader, because I much prefer this idea of communal, communal shared leadership. But at, you know, in leadership, if, if you haven't offended anyone in the course of your leadership process, it's as if you haven't done anything at all. Because at some point, the risk to move forward to do something will mean that someone might be pissed off. And to limit the risk of pissing everyone off so much that you don't do anything means that you can't move forward. And I think there's a, that's where courage comes in. That's the other bit, which is where courage must be part of, must be part of it. Giving yourself knowledge, learning from others, absolutely part of it. And, 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 but, but having the courage to do things together and take risks together is is absolutely fundamental to a to a you know to to good followership structures. It sounds to me like it's a lot about the ownership. So really creating the ownership within the whole community, within the whole team, that everyone owns part of it, and that's um, both in the good times and the bad times, right? Everyone owns the success when it happens, and everyone owns the responsibility for the failures and the learnings uh yes i think i think that's i think that's right i mean look you know if you look at startup businesses a lot of them are being are being set up a lot of the more progressive ones are being set up literally as shared ownership businesses but ownership is about the ownership of of the fulfillment of the narrative but that's why i think narratives are so important because people feel a sense of ownership if they're bought into a narrative. If the narrative speaks to them, if the story at the core of the business or the core of the brand or of the core of society or of the nation is one which is empowering, exciting, promises a future which is worthwhile um, and an ideal which um, lifts the human heart, then you know that's a powerful that's a powerful vision and i know you know that's may sound ridiculous if you've got a business which is selling widgets you know you think you know to lift the you know a narrative which lifts the human heart but actually that's about building something together and being able to share in the in the in the success of that and i don't just mean i don't just mean financial sharing i mean there is a kind of fulfillment for a group of individuals in building something together and seeing the success of something being built. Before I set up my own business um, 14 years ago, I was working at a company which was run, had been set up by two women um, and there were five partners. Um, and there were, it, it, I, I was about number 17 or 18 through the door and the business grew and I left five years later to about 150 people in several different offices. And um, I can tell you, that there was a sense of communal ownership, even though even though there were only five names on the actual, you know, who owned the business technically, there was a sense of mutual, a, a culture of mutual ownership in terms of the development and the growth of the business and the success and excitement of that. That did come from a leadership structure which had acknowledged a kind of created a kind of followership model, which was very, very good. Interestingly, the they were they were I left the point they were sold. The new ownership reverted to and created a structure which was much more top down and alienated a lot of the people who had worked there for many years to see the growth and um, and created a kind of 
a different kind of, 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 of value system within the business, which eroded some of the, uh, quite a lot of that, the, the kind of ethic that had been there previously, because it reverted to a very, very top down, uh, much less, uh, 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 the, the ethic care seemed to have lost out to the profit motive. That balance seemed to shift. It's tragic to observe sometimes when when you see this beautiful community really working together and and then in comes someone with a different interest and they yeah I mean you know it was it was it was still a successful business but it depends it depends what your definition of success is and um, you know there was I think that was an interesting challenge for that business and I say this because not with any criticism because you know you know it's not for me I, I'm still in touch with many of those people and we forged groups of Uh, you know, friendship groups, which which are deeply meaningful to me, and they would de- they've they've transcended the fact that we work together. They've transcended that. We're now we're now mates um, and good friends because we were bonded. We were forged. That friendship was forged in having created and having de- helped helped develop something together because we were brought into a narrative which was underpinned by a care ethic. The narrative was of growth and of development and of progress, which was mutual. And mutual benefit, mutually beneficial. Yeah, that's a sign of being able to create this culture where people are really thriving and they feel like parts of something bigger. That they actually uh, keep those relationships so long after. Alex, I would like to wrap up with my typical three questions. The first one of them is, what would be your three pieces of advice for our genius leaders, this listening or watching? And it can be in any area. It can be personal, business owner, create a narrative. Absolutely create a narrative. And I don't mean create a narrative based on we want to have a turnover of 10 million pounds next year. That's not a narrative. That's that's a that's a you know a, that's a tactical goal. I mean a narrative which is a story which galvanizes people and excites people. That's the first thing. Second, listen and learn, and by doing so, empower others to feel their voices heard. The final thing, which I think is absolutely consistent. It, it, sorry, is is absolutely crucial, and it's something that I learned through mistakes. Is is consistency actually? If you're if you are in that top down structure, be consistent. That doesn't mean you can't change your mind. It doesn't mean you you can't change your mind. But I think people need to know where you where they stand with you, a kind in which they they feel you they trust you because you're consistent. They believe in, and by consistent, I mean you, you know be consistent in bringing people in, in the first two things. I'm going to have a fourth. A fourth one, which I think is really fundamental, which is have an ethic, a care ethic. Mm. Be that's caring. Okay. <laughs> that's okay to have four. <laughs> I mean, I just think that's, it's just, you know, just essential. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a foundation for everything else, I would say. You don't care about people as human beings, as, you know, they're, they're your colleagues, you're working together, but if you don't care about them as, as individuals and, you know, and true empathy, then I think you shouldn't be a leader. Great. I, I love it, Alex. And one practical piece of advice that you could give to our listeners or viewers that they can start implementing already today. Well, I'm going to go back to it. Um, write, that, write that narrative. Write down your narrative. Um, and if you feel you've got a narrative, write it down in a, you know, two, three sentences. And, and then ask everyone else, what's our narrative? And, and, then, and get them to tell you. And then write it together. Build a narrative together. Because th- to my mind, that's fundamental to any to it you know and, and this is something you know you might need to do on a regular basis every year you might need to get together and say let's revisit the narrative what are we here for what 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 are we here for what's our what's our purpose and and the narrative at the heart of it is absolutely i think fundamental 
to that goal. That's beyond selling widgets. What's the narrative that you're doing? What does that widget do for people to help people's lives? And you know, and that's the narrative, etc. That's that's pra- and I think once you know, that's something that I would really encourage. That's a practical thing to do because I think it has ma- manifest benefits for for the business, but importantly for individuals. There's a kind of fulfilment to hearing a story and being part of a story and the building and extension and extending that story. It's 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 a wonderful, you know, we we respond strongly as children. We're told stories and it's exciting for us to be part, to be a to be in the dramatis personae of a narrative in a story, which is what's going on where you're in your workplace. That's a fantastic, uh, it's fantastically exciting. Mm. I come to to think about this uh, anecdote story about when uh, people who are building their church or cathedral are asked what they're doing. And one is saying, I'm laying bricks. The other one is saying, I'm building a church. And the third one is saying, I'm creating the house of God. And I think this is really about the creating that narrative. And you as a leader have the power to actually create the narrative that everyone sees that they're building something very meaningful. Yeah, that's a wonderful. That's wonderful. I mean, I mean, you know, f- f- professionally, um, uh, you know, semiotics is about in which I do professionally commercial cultural insights. It's very much about about building meaning, and we know that the delivery of of meaning, one of the key delivery mechanisms for mean for the delivery of meaning is stories, storytelling, narrative structures, and I agree with you. Laying a brick is functional. Building a house of God is emotional, and there's something you know. There's something which lifts the human heart, um, even if you're an atheist. <laughs> I think the idea of building something which is a space of awe, awe and wonder is something, um, and you're a participant in that is fantastic. Yeah, it was a great conversation, Alex. I'm very grateful for it. Last question would be: if people want to know more about semiotics and sign salad or connect with you, how can they go ahead with that? Oh, sure. Um, uh, uh, everyone's welcome to come to signsalad.com uh, with a website, which has a website. We've got lots of articles on there, which we're constantly producing, which are great fun um, and really interesting. Everything from the semiotics of cheese, the cultural meaning of cheese, to the cultural meaning of dating, um, through to why cultural insight is important for brands. So, uh, And there is a, um, an, a description and an introduction to what semiotics is and why it's Why, why thinking semiotically is helpful as a person as well as a business. Um, so very welcome to, to get in touch with us that way and welcome, welcome anyone to do so. Great. I'll, I'll add the, show note, the link to the show notes. Thanks again for, for this wonderful conversation. I'm sure that people will um, have this passion in their lives as well about the narrative and building it and also creating the followership. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. I'm very touched to have been and uh, privileged to have been invited and um, forgive me for rambling at times, uh, but uh, I've learned a lot from the conversation as well. So thank you. Happy to hear that. And it was my pleasure. Bye, Alex. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. Remember, I'm always here for you. And I'm happy to connect with you on LinkedIn or via email or hop on a strategy call. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 